Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the July 30, 2023 session, focusing on Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 30, without a voice. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Every now and then we will take a break from our lead-in questions and instead talk about our sponsor, which is Faith Lab. Faith Lab is the company that supports Faith Element and helps produce the content each week. And Faith Lab can also help you or your church or your organization with communications needs. In fact, because we're going to be talking a good bit about women today, (laughs) I thought it was perhaps a good day to celebrate Baptist Women in Ministry. This is an organization that you might be surprised to know exists, because in the news lately, we've had the Southern Baptist Convention, and it wasn't a very, shall we say, inclusive or welcoming perspective about women in ministry. But there are plenty of Baptists who do celebrate women following their call into ministry, whatever that looks like. And Baptist Women in Ministry is a group that has grown over the years to be a major voice in supporting Baptist women in ministry and really women in ministry everywhere. Faith Lab was really thrilled when Baptist Women in Ministry reached out and employed us to build their new website. They've got new branding. They're on fire. And so we were thrilled to work with them and they were also they were also happy that the three persons they were working with on the production of the site with Faith Lab are all women. <laughs> and so cuz you don't find a lot of folks in technology and in the web development space who are females. This was a great fit. Anyway, we're super excited. If you want to take a look at Baptist Women in Ministry or even just see the website and the work that was done there, go to bwim.info, bwim.info. Take a look at that. And again, if Faith Lab can help your organization, your church, your group, develop a website that helps you tell your story kind of like this one does for Baptist Women in Ministry, let us know. We'd love to help you out. Check us out at faithlab.com. That's faithlab.com. This is, I believe, our last episode in Genesis for a while, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to be an interesting one, I think. Daniel, could you help get us started? Sure, I'll be glad to. Dear listeners, as we've traveled this Abraham narrative together, It seems as if we have been giving out apologies, disclaimers, and trigger warnings each week. From the casting out of Hagar and Ishmael, to the near sacrifice of Isaac, to stealing birthrights, to today's story of Jacob, Laban, Leah, and Rachel, few, if any, of these characters really emerge as heroic, with the exception, in my opinion, of Hagar. She's a rock star, but that's another podcast for another day. Yes, when these scriptures are read in worship, when the lector says the word of the Lord, it's awfully hard to respond, thanks be to God. I feel like adding another apology today. This story is a difficult one. We are following the story of Jacob. As a reminder, Abraham and Sarah have a son Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have a son Jacob. Jacob took his older brother's birthright in a moment of weakness, and then leaves town and goes to his ancestral land, Canaan. There he is welcomed by his uncle Laban. As Jacob works for his uncle, 
Laban says to him, hey, your family, you shouldn't work for free. What should your salary be? Jacob responds, well, in return for seven years of labor, you can pay me by giving me your daughter, Rachel. Jacob loves Rachel so much that those seven years, quote, seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. When it comes time to receive his bride, Laban tricks Jacob by giving him Leah, his older daughter, instead of Rachel. And once he realizes he's been tricked and a switch has been made, Jacob makes another deal, another seven years, in order that he might have Rachel. Several things are unknown here. First, we don't know how Laban pulled off his trick. Second, we don't know how in the world Jacob didn't realize Leah was not his beloved Rachel. And perhaps most importantly, we do not know what Leah and Rachel thought of all this, for we do not hear from them. They are given no voice in the matter. See, if we step back and just look at the men in the story, Laban and Jacob, I suppose you could say that this trickery was well-deserved. Jacob cheats his brother, only to be cheated himself by his uncle. And I've heard this story preached like that before. You reap what you sow. But if you look into the eyes of the women here, it's a much more complex and troubling story. As I said, the women aren't allowed to speak in this story. They are simply pawns in an agreement between two men. They are property. They are both forced to marry Jacob. What's more, the way the story is told, Leah and Rachel are compared to one another physically. The New Revised Standard Version translates verse 17 as, Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Yes, the Hebrew is difficult here, so I asked my rabbi friend, and he said a better translation is that Leah's eyes were delicate or weak, but still very uncertain. And my friend said he's not exactly sure what that delicate or weak eyes means. The conjunction in Hebrew should be but rather than and. What does that mean? It means that the author is stating that Leah's eyes were something, but Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Why does this matter? This matters because the larger meaning is that the two women are being compared with one another based on their appearances. So not only are they treated as property, but they are judged for how their bodies look. As we take this journey through Genesis, we've been asking ourselves the following question quite a bit. Why is this story here? What are we to learn from it? I don't know that I have any answers, but I certainly have some thoughts. First of all, for those in our society who argue for a return to biblical marriage, you're going to have to contend with this story. For this story presents marriage not as one man, one woman, but one man, two women, and their dad. Second, it's easy for us to sit in judgment as we read this story of Jacob, Laban, Leah, and Rachel. In fact, you could probably tell I've been fairly judgy in my Bible background here. We condemn the actions of the men here because we are evolved. We don't do things like this anymore. Or do we? Friends, this story is less a window into the past and more a mirror of the present. 
As much as this family is broken and messed up, so is mine and so is yours. Just like Jacob and Laban act in their own selfish interests, I too have been guilty of not considering others and their point of view. Just as Leah and Rachel are given no voice in the matter, I too have been guilty of making decisions while ignoring the needs of those with less power and less clout. While this may be an ancient story, the brokenness here is as current as today. Women still do not have equal seats at the table where decisions are made, or at the pulpits where gospel is proclaimed. Women are still judged based upon their appearance rather than their giftedness and accomplishments. When it comes to pay, I earn more than my sisters in ministry for doing the exact same job. As much as this story is about Abraham's family back then, it's also about our family today. It's also about how much work we have ahead of us in order to fulfill God's promise then and now for us to be a blessing to the nations. And that's a little background on our text for today. As a proud Baptist woman in ministry myself, I am both grateful for the work of Baptist Women in Ministry and Faith Lab's connection to that, but also I'm grateful, Daniel, for the way that you covered this text. This is a story that I remember learning when I was a kid. And I mostly remember learning that it was amazing that Jacob worked seven years for one daughter. And then, wow, he was so faithful. He worked seven more years for another daughter. And at that point in time, like nobody questioned any of the other aspects that we're talking about here. Though I will say, I don't think it's so much Jacob reaped what he sowed, but rather we see where Jacob came from. That there is this sense of trickery that has come down through the bloodline. But Leah, Leah and Rachel would have grown up beside one another, playing together, sitting in the red tent together, uh, doing life together. They would have cooked together. And I imagine even hope, this is me imagining, this is not in the scripture, but I can imagine they even hope that they might raise children together. Hmm. And then this story and the patriarchy that drives it pits them against one another. Mm -hmm. And then as you continue to read in the story, there is jealousy after jealousy because Leah produces children and Rachel cannot. And so this type of text it's so important for us to look at the people in the stories who don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about Leah and Rachel all day, and we could keep going and talk about Zilpah and Bilhah. Did I say that right? Zil yeah, Zilpah and Bilhah. The, they're, they're slaves. They're yeah. slaves. And yeah. so they are, all of these women are essentially given to Jacob by Laban. And... It is so important for us as we read scripture to acknowledge the context in which these texts are written, that women were property, and that's why they're told this way. They are not a prescription for how we should be. The text makes clear they are given not just a hand in marriage, but he gives their bodies to. Yes, that's him. very clear in the text. Yeah, it's not just about, you're right, marriage. Mm -hmm. 
I yeah, really and, go ahead, go go. No, I was going to say, and it is also very important in our moment in time. And Daniel, you, you went to this when more and more people are talking about biblical marriage, get back to biblical marriage. They were reminded polygamy, and not just polygamy in general, but polygamy with the idea of a father negotiating to get what the best he can with another man who wants mm-hmm. his daughter. And it's a haggle, and the daughter have no voice. That is very biblical. And we need to be warned of that because, unfortunately, both Rachel and Leah, Leah and Rachel were both probably young when he first saw them. But with that, there there are more and more voices increasingly getting mainstream, what's the word I'm looking for, attention, saying maybe it was wrong to give women the right to vote 100 years ago. People who have achieved certain levels of offices in our country are now questioning whether or not women should have been given the right to vote. Women need to be at home. And not only that, women don't need to be educated. We're hearing this again in mainstream conversations at times, which brings everything back down to this situation, even to the point that one of the things we talk about in my sociology families classes is child marriage is not something just in the past, and child marriage is not something that just occurs in uneducated, uncivilized countries. Child marriage still occurs in the United States. Yes, it does. All it takes is a man with money or some kind of power to negotiate with parents and go before a judge And the judge can sign a form giving this 12-year-old, 10-year-old, or even 16-year-old girl to a man. And that still occurs very commonly. That's not the mainstream. It's not the norm. But it still occurs. It's not one every so many years. It happens on a regular basis, according to sociologists and people who study these things. So this is an important text for our time to question where we're going and where we're using faith and is it right to use the bible to say that because this is in the bible this is the way it ought to be these are real prominent things for us right now as you said daniel this Mm -hmm. is our story today i couldn't help as you were talking nikki wondering so often we're okay we're talking about how we approach the text right Mm -hmm. and so often i think we approach the text with children so that we teach these stories, right? Right. What in the world is it like for a young girl to be taught this story in Sunday school? Ooh. Okay. So looking back, I don't know that I can remember exactly how I felt about it, but I think when I think about who I was as a kid, I probably would have been very curious about the women. And this is weird. Like I would have thought it was weird. And because of how I was raised, I don't think I would have tried to thought that it was a model for how I would be connected to a future mate. And this, along with so many other messages that little girls hear, tells me that, taught me that we submit to men in all areas, not just a husband, but to bosses and men that are our own age, their colleagues, and we should always submit to them. And that is definitely a message that comes through in these scriptures where women are silenced. And I will say, my daughter, when she first started to read and she got her first big girl Bible, 
she said, I'm going to start in Genesis and read all the way through, which was hysterical. And also I said, nope, you're not going to do that. Because the stories in Genesis are not for a six or seven year old. They are not G rated. So I told her, you can start in Luke. That's a really mm-hmm. great place to start. And, and it was, I did not want her reading Genesis 1 through 11, much less all the way into the Adam and Jacob. I'm sorry, the Abraham and Jacob narratives. Even when they were little, I hesitated on teaching the crucifixion. I was, it was a scare, it was a hard thing to figure out how to do, but especially these stories about women. Yeah. And I hope I didn't gloss over. I did bring it up, but I I don't remember much about being taught that, but I do remember the old trope, Leah was ugly, Rachel was pretty. Mm-hmm. And contemporary, not contemporary, but historical depictions in art bear this out. Michelangelo's statues right. of the two in Rome very clearly show a, a difference of appearance. And I, I'm not sure why that detail had to be shared. But but it's indicative, I think, that for too long, w- women have been judged by how their bodies look. And it's it was certainly a part of that story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, I'm glad you said that. Like, I, that absolutely is there. And I didn't even think about that when David asked mm-hmm. me. But you're right. And you just think this comparison has been going on since the beginning of time. Yeah. And yeah. Because that comparison in that text comes from a place, a context in which women really were property to be traded, that looking at women, judging them based on how they look all the way up through today is such a way of commodifying the female body. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, is harmful beyond what most people can even imagine. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know if this is stating it too strongly or incorrectly, but it almost becomes a currency. Yes. Um, that That is bartered or traded or even sold in some cases. Yes. Yeah. So much that even in, like in conversations about privilege, there's something called the pretty privilege. Mm-hmm. And so that women who are perceived as pretty have more privilege in society than women who are seen as not pretty. And I, it's real. It, it bears out. It is an actual thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a psychological study that I don't, I'll have to find it and we can put it in the show notes. But there's a it has to do with courtroom witnesses. And when showing the pictures, the people of all all across the spectrum are asked, who is who seems trustworthy and it falls right along with the societal norms for beauty yep yep when as i say that that sounds ridiculous yeah but it's a study that is it the results are borne out over and over again and i think it would even be true with those of us who think we have grown beyond that right oh, yeah. that that even we would demonstrate like i imagine that would I would confirm the results in the way I would respond to that test too. Um, and I try very hard to, to not participate in those kinds of ways that we demean women. I will say that in scripture, 
most women who are like Leah and Rachel, they aren't given a voice in the ways that their lives turn out. We see, even with Leah and Rachel, that they have agency as you read the rest of their story. Mm-hmm. In fact, they are very powerful women holding on even to their own faith traditions, which does get them in trouble. But I always have loved that text because it shows such agency on the part of Rachel to bring her gods with her. I'll say something else there that I think what that says to me, and hopefully as a contemporary lesson, that when voices are silenced, the agency is silenced too. But in spaces where voices are valued, people bring their best selves to it, and we all are the better for it. Yes. And and one of the reasons I say that is I don't think – I don't think every story in scripture, every story is placed in in our canon because it's something we should emulate. There, there are certain lessons that we receive that we say, this is not how we should act. This is not how we should treat mm-hmm. people. And I think one of the clues with this story is, in addition to Rachel and Leah not having a voice or their servants, does not speak in this story either. And right. I think that is significant. Especially considering how when we talk, when Isaac, when a wife has gone to be found for Isaac, God is so much a part of that story. Mm-hmm. Finding um, Rebecca for Isaac, God lets Isaac know it's time to go and find a wife for Isaac. And there's prayer along the way. And there's lots of conversation with God from the human's point of view. And that is in direct contrast to what we have here. Going back to what y'all were talking about appearance and the weight we put on that, there was a study, there was a study done last fall, I believe. And I think it was published at the Washington Post that female servers in restaurants get better tips when they wear pigtails than when they don't. And there was a, and so people began to really study this and it bore out and it's creeping it's creeping some of the female servers out it's what creepy does that say yeah because it's childish it is yes. a childish hairdo and i don't mean that women who wear pigtails are childish because i have seen all ages of women wear pigtails yeah. and they're adorable and when my hair was longer sometimes i put my hair in pigtails but it is like calling back to childhood when yes. you wear them. And it is seen as like a younger, a prepubescent hairstyle. Yeah. And so if they are getting more tips. Yes. You can follow that out. And as I recall, that was the servers were beginning to realize this is creepy. It is creepy. I was just going to say that it goes back to previous point, but I think we've already stated it. The voicelessness, if that's a word, of Rachel and Leah is so prominent throughout this. I think we've made the point, but I can't get over Jacob's language. Give me my wife. And then he goes back to Laban. You have tricked me. Mm. Us. Yeah. So it's this. It's just set up this. This is something between Laban and Jacob and his women just got caught up in it, almost mm-hmm. pawns in, in the game. The language is really startling here. 
So I, sometimes I know it's easy, having grown up in the church, to hit the automatic button whenever you come to a certain text. Okay, here's the tra- here's the interpretation of that. You might even pull out an old commentary. And, oh yeah, here's the traditional interpretation or common. I think, if nothing else, one of the things we're trying to model on the podcast is an approach to the text that tries to be authentic and relevant and honest so that approaching a text like this one, and from time to time, we we don't skip over difficult texts because they're difficult. We give them to Daniel. (laughs) Just kidding. That's right. Yes! (laughs) But I think this is one of the things when I talk to younger people about church and faith, they're interested in faith, but they may not be interested in church. And they often will talk about the lack of authenticity, that texts like this one might be discussed, but we don't really talk about what's going on here. We don't really honestly ask questions. Really? Is this prescriptive for us? Should we be living this way? Or is this mm-hmm. something else that we could talk about and learn from? But so whenever Regina and I became parents, I remember a constant dance that both of us remember how we were raised. And it's so easy just to hit the automatic button and Treat your kids the same way. Not that we were raised poorly by any stretch, but I think we both intentionally worked across the years to stop and think about things and say, is this how we want to parent? Is this how we want to raise kids? And I think that's not a bad way to think about how we interpret scripture. That we say, yes, I was taught this, but I'm going to look at it afresh and try to honestly say, how do I need to approach this text? How is it approaching me? Hmm. Because young people can tell the authenticity or not of our approach to Scripture. And if we think Scripture is real and valuable, we ought to be okay with coming at it with open eyes and open ears, Hmm. open hearts, and asking the hard questions and arguing about it, and basically have your own podcast and do this. (laughs) That's a great idea. So... (laughs) Maybe, because I I suspect some of our listeners are like, what in the world do I do with this text? How are we going to talk about this? I hope you'll talk about it kind of like we did. Ask the questions, be honest about it, struggle with it. Realize that this is the scripture we're handed. The question is not, do we agree with it or disagree with it? Are we going to do exactly what it says or not? The question is, what will we do with this text that is here in front of us? And sometimes it challenges us. Sometimes it causes us to see the world differently. Sometimes it causes us to see ourselves differently. Scripture changes us if we allow ourselves to honestly connect with it, and sometimes painfully. Because when we raise our kids, we know that one day they're going to live in this big, bad world and bad things are going to happen to them. And they're going to be in situations that are horrible. And they're going to have days that are ugly. Mm-hmm. And having sugar-coated things isn't going to help them cope with the realities of life. The scriptures, just like life, have all sorts of ugliness and meanness in them. Turning away doesn't help because the people next to us and across the street from us are dealing with this real world too. They need us to be genuine. So anyway, I'm preaching, but I hope that the takeaway from this podcast and our approach to this text is that you too can do this and be authentic. And because of that, 
grow and be a good witness to others. I'll step down from the soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all again for a really good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.